Welcome to the Lost Signals Discusses Film and TV. Using the revolutionary Manzor Mosi Thurlow scale, or MOTS, we scrupulously review these art forms with an emphasis on narrative structure. Join us for another entertaining episode. Hello, and welcome once again to the Lost Signals Reviews Film and Television. My name is Chris Morgan. I am here, I'm the knight, here with my squires, uh, Jonathan Ian Manzer. Uh, happy birthday. Thank you, man. Scott Thurlow. Checkmate. And Stephen Ramosi. Happy death day. Thank you. And tonight, um, we actually reviewed one of mine, if not my favorite movie. It's Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. Um, I did request this because I turned 50 this year. And um, we're going to get into, uh, I'll kind of get into why I chose it later, and there's no irony to it, really. Um, But Scott, do you have a funny logline to start us off with? Yes, of course. You might be a knight, or a squire, or a juggler, or a lowly street sweeper, but sooner or later, you will dance with the reaper. (laughs) (laughs) And Steve-O, would you like to tell us the plot of this? Sure. Uh, It's a movie that has a lot of characters, but I think a lot of it has to do with uh, Antonius Block's kind of game of chess with death. Uh, this is introduced like right in the beginning. He convinces death that to play a game of chess, and uh, as long as they're playing, he won't take him. And then if he wins, he gets to stay alive, and if he doesn't, he just doesn't. Um, I guess it's a simplification. But like uh, he has a squire... Uh, named Jans that he is wandering around with and also he comes to meet a bunch of people who are kind of living their everyday lives they go about the, during the plague right the plague is happening as the plague do. is rampaging <laughs> as it were it's kind of this story about life and death during the plague uh, like during plague through, time yeah they go through all of these like kind of um just little event, like little philosophical, little Jaunts. ramblings amongst themselves. Eventually, uh, the uh, juggler and his wife that and and their little son that that they meet uh, are kind of allowed to escape death's embrace, but the rest of the crew uh, go to they dance with the reaper. Antonius's castle, which is where. Death finally comes to take them, and I assume this is all a metaphor for them all dying of the plague and a, a, well, a small family being allowed to kind of escape, escaping and living through, or a terrible breakfast, or just an awful breakfast. <laughs> yeah, it, which it, happened a lot in those times. So. I was gonna, I was gonna say if you've seen Monty Python: The Meaning of Life, <laughs> it was the salmon moose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's that's kind of the long and short of it. It's it's kind of a stage for all of these interesting philosophical discussions that everybody kind of has throughout and um yeah i really enjoyed the movie the plot is pretty good although i think it's more of as i mentioned like a vehicle for what yeah bergman himself was trying to say or i don't know if he wrote the script i assume he did he did mm-hmm. um i so like i think it's more of a vehicle for like talking about these issues of life and death and especially during that time of the plague and um you know i'm coming down on a strong two 
And that's pretty much where I'm at at the moment. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, so I mean, this is probably Bergman's most famous film uh, in general, I would think. Most well-known, I guess. And yeah, so we did one other one earlier, as I think at the start of our foreign push uh, last spring. So, yes, it's a, it's was basically... One, what was that one It was The Magician, the magician. I believe. But a lot, like many of his films, maybe Chris, you can speak more, but it's basically a string of vignettes that are str- like that have a through-line storyline to them, but... It's the knight and his squire, like, going through this, like, meeting the, the troop, um, the actor and his wife and the friend, and then the blacksmith and village, and, like, ex- engaging in philosophical, metaphysical conversations mm-hmm. while uh, Antonius plays chess with death and attempting to prolong, searching for answers, right? We're getting a lot to it in themes, I would think, in a second. But, yeah, I agree with you, Steve, for score-wise, at least, that because of the nature of, like, again, stringing along these little set pieces, pretty much, that are mainly composed of characters talking to each other, discussing, again, God, life, death, etc. It's all fine. So I think a solid two is also where I'm coming down because it holds together very well. It's just that it's not enough for a three. I know, Chris, you're probably, given your love for this film, you might make a case for it and almost certainly you're going to give it a three. But I think as it stands (laughs) on paper and removed a bit from it, a damn solid two is what I'm going to give it. So, uh, the knight and his squire reminded me quite a bit of Don Quixote mm-hmm. I see it. and his squire, uh, but almost the inverse of the knight in there, uh, where Don Quixote was a humorous character attempting to show the mockery of a chivalrous person in the modern age. Mm. This is a French existentialist type <laughs> knight. Yeah. Uh, Uh, I'm about to die. What is the meaning of life? But the squire role is actually very similar, kind of very down to earth, very humorous character there. Although this is a much darker tale. Um, So yeah, I I enjoyed it. I mean, perhaps it's not a fault of the film. It's just a beautiful film. And my ADD rattled uh, (laughs) mind of the modern generation. It's a bit of a slow film. Uh, And I don't know. I think it's it's interesting. I, I, it didn't work for me as I think it was intended to, mm. but that's not a problem. I think it's more of a problem of myself than it was not for the, the film. film itself, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I found myself getting distracted occasionally during it. But I'm going to probably uh, give it a two just that? because of the what I feel are pacing issues for it. But it was still pretty engaging, you're saying, like most for the most part throughout. I just kept thinking of like um, uh, waiting for Godot and other <laughs> works like that, like of a bunch of people sitting around talking about the meaning of life and death, and no exit, no exit, damn no, you! No, yes. we just talking yeah. about that. All right, um, as Scott predicted, <laughs> I am giving it a three. Um, I do have the benefit of this has got to have been the tenth or eleventh or twelfth time I've seen this, um, and I what I'm giving my score now because I'm giving it a three. Uh, the reason I wanted to kind of go last and because I'm going to be doing themes and dialogue is because to me, those three are the most, they're like the center points of the film. Yeah. Yeah. But to me, it's uh, to me, the theme of this film, ironically, I mean, I I know I'm I'm one of the only people who don't think this is a depressing film because to me, this film is life. You know, you have the plague going on, but you have people worrying about the day to day. You, you've Mm -hmm. got, you've got Antonius block, Worrying about the big existential questions in life. You know, he doesn't want to die until he's got some proof 
that there is something beyond Or here. one way or another, even if there isn't, he wants to know. He, he wants answers, right? He's looking for God. But one of the things he tells Death why he wants to prolong his life is he goes, you know, he could have gone, done the crusade thing. And, you know, Bergman, uh, his father was... Uh, Been there, crusaded there. <laughs> yeah. Bergman's father was... Um, a reverend, or priest, not priest, but, you know, like a reverend or something. He was a, he was a pastor, a deacon, not, de- Doesn't he, was a, he was a holy man. So a mm. lot, so a, so a, <laughs> a man of the of, cross. A lot of, you know, as, as with most people, you guys can speak to going to parochial school. Um, you know, you, it does kind of sh- shadow what you do from here on out. So, um, so what you have is Antonio Splock wants to do one thing of significance because he did his faith. He We find out later that it was, a, a, I believe, a monk or it was another holy man who talked him into going to the Crusades. I mean, Jans mm-hmm. basically says, you know, you talk my master into this bullshit. Mm-hmm. And um, and and he's a petty criminal. Yeah. So he went to the they went to the, the Crusades and they experienced death. And all sorts of stuff, and death, and poison yeah. wine, and and women and snakes, win, and yeah, women and snakes, all that, whatever that was all that speech. And he is. wanted yeah. to do something of significance in mm-hmm. his life, and to me, that's important because my favorite moment in the movie is when they're having dinner with the strawberries, and Antonius Black is the first time in the entire film he's enjoyed anything, and he's smiling, and I'll get to this when I go to dialogue. But he just appreciates that moment. And at sure. that moment, nothing matters but that moment. And he goes and plays death, resumes his game with death. And death is like, why are you smiling? He's like, it's nothing. Like, basically, none of your business. I'm taking this with me. This is my moment. And at the end, when he's playing his last round with death, he realizes the one significant thing he can do is to buy the family, uh, Yoff and Mia and Mikael, enough time to escape right. mm. and of course once we get to the end everybody's kind of accepts that the girl just like the first time in the whole film because she Jans saved her from death before and she's been kind of going through this and it, she's the one who kneels before death and with a smile and you know and um Antonius Block is still wanting an answer from God and everybody else kind of seems accepting the fact that well here's death hi we're about to go mm. um but Throughout this, you've got different things. You've got Yoff and uh, Mia and, you know, they've got – they live in this own little – they live in their own little bubble. I mean, everybody kind of lives in their own little bubble. And they sort of cross over bubbles, if you will. Yeah. When they cross paths, yeah. So they're like living moment to moment and enjoying everything. And it's really interesting when the fatulents come into town and you see everybody's reaction, whether they're kneeling on Tonius Block and – um Yons, they kind of like look at it with like, yeah, we've been to the Crusades and, you know, he, the, the one guy's talking about death and, you know, uh, Antonius Box, like, yeah, I'm playing just with death right now. Um, but I find it a really interesting cross section of life and, you know, living these days now with global warming and all this stuff that's going on. I'm not going to get too political in this. But it's just a matter of you've got the overshadowing at the time. It was a plague. There's judgment. And you find out that people live their lives. And Antonius Block is really grappling face-to-face with his existential crisis. And everybody else is just kind of along for the trip. Yeah. 
and dealing with things how they deal with it as a human being. And uh, thematically, this is about looking into the unknown. This is asking questions of existence. But this film, to me, thematically, is a really lovely cross-section of life. It is, you've got that part of you that is always wondering what's next. Um, you've got where you, you've got people who are facing that, who are wondering what the next thing is. Generally speaking, people are living their lives. Some people are afraid of, you know, the things they hear in the news or what their preachers are telling them or whoever. And they're, you know, they're, they're accepting the, the tension that's coming from somebody. Other people just kind of let it bounce off them. Other people kind of integrated it, integrate it into like an art form. Um, there's horrific things that are done in the name of it. Like they're, they had, um, the witch there were, that apparently had sex with the devil and Antonius Block wants to know how to talk to the devil because he wants to ask the devil about God and they show mercy on her and then later on when there's a plague victim, Jans keeps the girl from giving him water because there's nothing we can do. It's just an interesting mm-hmm. where it's just like they show mercy where they can, where where you're well, You're, not much mercy to be had. Well, but but the thing is, but the, 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 but they tried to because they they if he she wasn't near death. Jan said, "I was thinking about killing all these people, but we really can't save her." But what they do is they give her something to either dull the pain or she you know to kill her before she burns. Opiates probably. Opiates probably. Opiates. Why not? You know, that's um, what they got in the Crusades. Uh, but the, the, there's a lot to unpack in this film, and I have seen it several times, and every time I pull something new from it and i appreciate the little subtle things um funny enough in it and this is one of the reasons that is my favorite movies because it does kind of remind us to appreciate the moments we have and um even because there's always going to be some existential crisis in the world or some personal thing that we're dealing with to burn the witches where you find them and then you got to burn the witches where you find them and you know kill (laughs) kill the uh people who no i'm just kidding um don't kill anybody um I'm a pacifist, but thematically, uh, it is a, a film about life. There's a lot to unpack here. I'm going to put it over to you guys, but that's my merging of the plot and themes. I hope it made sense. Three for you. Are you guys? No, he's over three and a one. Changing? <laughs> no, no, I'm still three and a one two. for uh, themes. Yeah, you, you basically had switched in the themes, but I see it like yes, of course they cross over. So you're giving a three to plot and a one to themes. Yeah, I, I mean it was kind of it was kind of yes. hard for me to discuss the plot without discussing the yeah, themes. Sure. Fair enough. Uh, and that's exactly why I'm giving it a two uh, for uh, uh, for, plot. Uh, for plot because it's more of a vehicle for philosophical discussions than yeah. it is necessarily a story an, engaging a narrative. Yeah, I agree with that. So, uh, did you want to go about on about themes as well now? Uh, Chris actually did a fairly good job at it, specifically when he said there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, here. it's very dense with and stuff. Sure. I know that there is – this is the first time seeing it, but I, I'm aware of the fact that there is a lot written about this movie. And there is far more in it than my um, my feeble mind can <laughs> uh, uh, piece together. But it's uh, – they handle a lot of exploration of handling of death, justification of actions in the face of death, hmm. uh, existing in a world which is falling apart. Uh, it's it's a fairly impressive uh, movie. It reminds me of a lot of other existential work looking yeah. into meaning of life. Yeah, I mean, I mostly agree. Like, yeah, you covered a lot. There was a lot I got to cover, and you guys both did cover a lot. And this film is packed a lot of things. Like I said, it's mostly made up, to me at least, vignettes, vignettes of the discussions of, mm-hmm. like, 
what does it mean? Like, is there a God? And if so, what does that, how does that change how I should behave, et cetera? And what if there's not? And it reminded me actually quite a bit, uh, even though I know um, this movie came first, of Stalker, which we covered this year for Halloween, where it's just like, just a lot of ex- people sitting around struggling with existential crisis of faith or just existential crisis in general. Only struggles, at least, um, if not crisis, we'll say. In fact, I think uh, <clears throat> he probably the took director of Stalker was uh, a big fan yeah. of... Uh, yeah, and I could totally was, see it. Uh, Bergman. But yeah, uh, I mean, Bergman. I, I don't see how you can give themes a zero. Like, it explores so much, and without really committing, like, a la the characters themselves, they don't really find an answer. They might find peace, but not quite an answer to the actual questions that they've been searching for the whole time. Well, they also cover yeah. the nature of love. The yes, nature of exactly. Like, oh, there's there's exactly. a ton here. There's so much there really stuff going in there. Like and it's the so, love, been the love between man and a woman, yep. the love between, a, you know, parents and a child. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, the, the, the bridge between like the real and the spiritual, I guess. Yes, yeah, exactly. In many, in many different instances. And, you know, like the, the juggler has this, kind of connection to a spiritual world that, like, Antonio seems to really covet. You know, like, he would kill for to be able to see visions like this. Yeah, to have he a, just doesn't see Yoff's, them. Uh, um, abilities, if you will. But he has demonstrable proof of, uh, right. of afterlife because, <laughs> because death, he sees death. But yeah, like... Unless that's a elaborate metaphor, but... But, uh, I mean, yeah, I, it think works it, many I think levels. it all is an elaborate metaphor, exactly. right? But, yeah. like, there's an interesting thing to be said about, like, the behavior of... As, as you mentioned earlier, Ian, the behavior of humans in desperate times mm. um i think that's kind of a prescient point of this movie is yeah. like there are certain human truths to be uh taken out of this in in times of like great despair uh you have the the group of people that are like flagellating themselves you have um the titular antonius yeah you have antonius um you know just in his kind of existential crisis you have like you have all the different forms of people when they're faced yeah. with things that they can't control and things like that i i completely agree there are a ton of themes running throughout this film they're all i think really well done i, I don't think there was one that i was like yeah no, they've yeah. kind of fucked that none of which up. overpowers each on one another either yeah. i would say it was a very like a deaf move like a oh, very nice balancing act there I am going to postulate, though, that uh, in order to solve climate change, people should start uh, flagellating <laughs> themselves. Yes, of course. Uh, That's always the answer. Uh, I, I, it seemed to work against the Black uh, Death, uh-huh. so... <laughs> well, we don't have Black Death anymore, do we? Sure. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Boom. Rock sound we'll, we'll correlation, We'll get into current events and current potential <laughs> yes. pandemics. I mean, Anyways. Black Death has made a little bit of a comeback recently, so... <laughs> Not enough people are flagellating yeah, themselves. It's true. He's point. got it. Nailed it. <laughs> There may be a correlation, yes. but I think that's I anyway, think that's one's all one right, for right? themes. Yes, mm-hmm. you, you can't not. Yeah, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. One thing I do want to say um, that we uh, a few months ago we reviewed Apocalypse Now, and this film, like Apoc- Apocalypse Now, and indeed, you know the, the the themes and the images. These are the most, in for lack of a better word, parodied in. Yeah, I mean, it, the chess with death thing has been yeah, used and there reused are so, so many, many times. Lines that in this and Apocalypse Now that are taken out of context that mm. people think, "Oh, I'm just saying this because it's cool," but like Apocalypse Now, when you put these little lines back in, into the original full context. in context, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, like I had said before with the um, uh, Duvall's line, you know, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. I mean, there's a whole that you when you put that into context, it actually has a huge meaning to it. 
And there's so many things, and this is one of those films I really wanted to bring up that is so it's a lot of times it's taken out of context and sometimes they it's communicated well, but a lot of times it is like apocalypse now where pe- things will be like cool that you're, you're taking away from the meaning. Is, sure. is this the original like chess with death thing? I wonder if there was something before. It's probably the most like modern, well-known usage of it. I mean, people have been playing chess against the death for millennia. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, That's since chess existed, I assume. Yeah. Before uh, then, they were rolling. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I was going to do it in style, but to answer, like, it's probably the most uh, recognizable, iconic right. p- depiction of that element. Yes. Anyway, okay. Uh, but I just want to bring that. All around, yeah, yeah. I feel you. And it is to uh, Ian with an antagonist. Well, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I mean, death is personified here. He takes his damn time, though. Yeah, I, I would he, imagine he that, that Death would w- want to get that game out of the way, <laughs> but now they're like, we'll play a couple hands, you'll live for a couple more days, I'll show up again. I'll meet you on the tavern. I, I guess he's a busy guy. He's uh, the black plan. Yeah. Guy. Exactly. Uh, but nonetheless... Kind of people to murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, got, you got trees to saw down. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... However, I like the depiction of, in a sense, courting death, but also, in a sense, like life, especially if you're a knight in the Crusades, around, you're just biding time until uh, death comes around and find the because you're not going to win that chess game against death, yeah. uh, no matter how skilled you are. And I think that he is... Or even if you try to cheat, you still can't. Yeah, yeah, because he knows it all. Yeah. He didn't try to... Death cheated him. No, no, but he, no, he, uh, Antonius knocks the pieces and he's like, oh, oh yeah, he's that's like, I remember I'm, where they are. Yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what it was. Yeah. Sure. Well, um, sorry, David. Uh, since you mentioned Apocalypse Now, and I agree with your point as well, that it's a horror and death has a face. You know, let's make a friend of that face. Because <laughs> if you don't, it's truly to be feared. So, like, yeah, like, as personified, like, basically, again, the most iconic, uh, depiction of it, this death as a psychopomp. And even within, like, the fiction or the story of the film, they go to a church where a guy's painting, like he's doing the mural of like oh, the yeah. very famous, you know, like um, that kind of art style at the time. So yeah, like it's, and I, I would say again, tied in the themes, it's struggling with the existential nature of something like the plague. So like, mm-hmm. what, how does that change human behavior? You were mentioning earlier, like how do people respond and react to it? So yes, I think that of course, both of those things, like death personified, literally in this film, and also like the specter of the um the struggles and the existentialism both combine to be a very, very but, effective antagonist. Just imagine you spent 10 years in, yeah. the, in the Middle East fighting yeah. holy Bloody war. wars, yeah. You're, you, you've lost your faith. You don't, God, you get back home, plague. Guess you what? Wash, yeah. You wash up on yep. shore and yeah. death is like, yo, yeah. what's up? And I'm like, here too. Chess, maybe, for a little bit? <laughs> yeah, it's completely world-weary and all. But no, like that's it's a funny but still valid point. And I, I'm just saying, I think all of that stuff, or at least those two things, um, the most major ones, and then the subtleties beneath them all combine to form a very effective antagonist for all characters in this it's, film. It's almost a ticking clock, yeah, in yeah. a sense, yeah, except right. that through a game that he can't win. Yeah, right. exactly. But he does, like, what I like about that this conceit is that he does kind of control it a little bit more than the ticking clock, right? It's not high noon. It's like, oh, when... Your move at the next right. tavern yeah. or whatever. Right. Yeah. When when I when I want to slow things down, I can make moves that I know will along, like make the game longer. I know I can't win at the end, mm-hmm. but I can try to prolong at least prolong enough. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, sure. How long this goes? I think it's really interesting, and 
I completely agree with you. Death, uh, antagonist, and does a really good job. I'm impressed with uh, Bill and Ted, too, how much they made Death look like. This is the first time I'm seeing this movie, too. I was oh, like, really? oh, shit. He looks just like, like yeah, Death from Bill and Ted, Bogus Journey. very, looks just very like spot on, for sure. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, a direct reference, but uh, a really good one, I think. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's all I have to say about that. I think Death is a great antagonist, and you guys have said everything that I wanted to say. Yeah, I think, so. I think the way it's handled portrayed is a lot better in in this film than it could be in other and you've seen in other films but it works quite well and definitely a strong one right and what i like about it is that antonius block thinks death knows has the answers but to get him in the game he appeals to his hubris hmm. he's just like True. i heard, I heard you're an amazing chess player yeah he's like oh yeah and he's like i'm very good at it. so it's like he starts off with that and at the end sure he baits him at the end when antonius block basically sacrifices himself and reveals to let the family go away he's basically when he's letting the family get away he's like you know nobody escapes you nothing escapes you and the last thing he says to Antonius Black he's like I, you know he basically asks him if he has any answers and Death goes like I know nothing yeah. Yeah. like it's like probably the most horrific thing for him to hear sure but um, he has a, he has a one small victory by letting the family at least escape but it's the only answer yeah. that makes sense right yeah, yeah. the only answer yeah. there is possible yeah exactly for now <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I agree with you. I'm giving him one. I just, I just like the. Uh, I agree with everything you said. I just li- also like the way they put it. All right, all right. Ones, uh, ones all around, and it's to Scott with protagonist. Indeed, it is. So, I, th- I think it's more of a collective, like certainly an ensemble cast, and I guess it's like a mark of Bergman kind of because the magician was kind of similar as well in a sense where you want to say Antonius and his squire, right? Certainly, their main characters. But I think they meet the family or the, the actor family uh, early on enough, and then they're there for like almost the whole journey. It's not like mm-hmm. they disappear yeah. or anything like that. And then I think they form like the core of it, and then we'll get the secondary after this, obviously. But any anyone else who isn't them, like the blacksmith and his wife and all, like they're the secondary characters. But I guess you maybe make an argument differently. But to me, it's basically the five of them: Antonius, his squire, Jans, Yaf, Mia, and their and their young son. Even though he's not really a part of it, but he's there as part of their story. So I think it's the core of them, and we just mentioned it that at towards the end, the final move is Antonius, you know, basically sacrificing himself, giving in, um, finally relenting and being like, "All right, you're going to win. I knew that anyways, but at least I had enough time to have the family escape, and they can have their lives for until death comes for them." So I think I'm going to call it those five, and I think each actor did a great job. I certainly think uh, the squire was my favorite character. Because a lot of his lines and like just his behavior and like his sort of world weary mindset of, of everything that's happening, and he's sort of resigned to it all. He's like, oh, I'm just along for the ride. But he he does have in- insightful things to say, which we'll get to as well. So I'm gonna call it them collectively, and I think they all worked quite well. They all sort of balance each other out. They had nice interactions with um, little you know when it's the squire and uh, the husband and etc. Like swapping around. So yeah, I think. Maybe not the strongest, but certainly a damn solid one. And all the characters and actors did a good job to sell me to sell you on the believability of the setting and what was happening. So I think that I, I don't know. I, I you know what I I had like two characters in mind before you mentioned five of them, and you make a good point for all five of them. But the original two characters that I had in mind were Antonius and um, Joff, or Joff, mm-hmm. the actor, uh, because those are the two that are always kind of center stage anytime they're on on camera. 
Uh, kind of, but not always. But like Jan's, uh, the the squire, he's like kind of there to bail Yoff out of trouble, and he's kind of like a joke in certain points. Like I, I don't know. I like I, I could see him as a protagonist, and you make a good argument for it. But I, I think he's more well rounded. I didn't view him as that originally. I don't know, like I don't. It's, it, fair. it's not necessarily like have to do with well rounded. It's like, is it his story? I view it as in his. He is part of Antonius' story, and that's also uh, pretty good. Yeah, classist, like like Yoff has his own. No, I mean Yoff is fucking lower class than that squire, man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I I feel like Yoff has his own, and and everybody else is kind of based around them to me, uh, or or at least was in my first viewing, and I. Looking forward to see what the rest of you guys have to say because Scott, you make a good point, and I might change my my. It's funny because I, I was like, I was like, you make a good point too. <laughs> so with that, why don't you gentlemen talk? I have difficulty because you're right; it is an ensemble piece. I would just uh, the crusty juggler, <laughs> uh, the that Harpo Marks looking motherfucker. <laughs> uh, uh, he certainly is a main character in this and perhaps uh, uh, the knight as well. I don't know if the squire is uh, even though he is w- perhaps one of the most interesting characters in there uh, and for just sheer cynicism and worldliness. <laughs> yeah. But he seems more of a almost a narrator observer type character <laughs> yeah, than agency on his own. So, uh, yeah, cool. I, I might put the knight and the, um, uh, the juggler uh, as, the two main. as the two main characters there. Uh, also the fact that uh, someone pointed out earlier that the roles they play, that the juggler himself is sort of between worlds. There's the white, one white pant, one black, uh, mm-hmm. black and white, uh, putting him down the middle existing in that, uh, he has the visions, and then you have the person searching out some kind of meaning Which and 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 while playing chess against death, ironically, <laughs> uh, but he can't find meaning anywhere. And so I, you said you felt a kinship to the square. I felt a kinship to the knight uh, because aren't we all just trying to do something with our lives before uh, we lose that chess battle? Um, I agree with um, you and Sibo. Um, I, Steve, your assessments were right on. I think, Steve-O, when you said before that um, Yoff has a gift that Antonius Block covets. I mean, it's like it's like Yoff sees the unseeable but kind of marvels at it and integrates it into his life and his performance. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's like Antonius like, is staring at it and is, there's no wonder to it. He just wants mm. a definitive answer to it. Mm. And it, and they do form a really lovely juxtaposition. And I agree with you guys. It's to, to me I, I, that it is Joff and um, Antonius. So. It was well said. Yeah, I think, I think you guys could convince me. Like, it, it, I was good. Per- so one either way. Yeah, but. exactly. So I'll just speak more about it when we get to secondary. But yeah, I think as you guys talked it out and as I was sort of reflecting upon it, that they are like they're the kernel upon which everything else revolves around. So, like, yeah, while you're right, I, the squire, Jan's is a really good character, but he's not quite a protagonist, or, like, not at least a main protagonist. He's sort of attached to Antonius. The the best example of that is when the smith and the uh, sleazy and, actor are, I mean, he's just 
eating yeah. and like whispering things yeah, and yeah, just true. observing. <laughs> that, that's his role. He's like the peanut gallery, but you're right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost felt like uh, he was attached more to um, to Yoth in this movie. Like I know he's uh, technically Tony's Tony's squire, squire, but I feel like he has that. Like as from the moment he saves his life in the inn or whatever. He ha- they have that attachment that like kind yeah. of goes with a with a, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's a good point too. Especially in a film, you see it a lot where like somebody saves somebody else's life, and now they're like attached for yeah. ever. And you kind of you really that really comes through without like ever being said. And Yoff leaves him to die. Oh, Yoff does leave him to die, but you know sometimes you gotta save your wife. <laughs> you gotta cut your losses. Man. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I'm I'm gonna give them. I, you guys turned me on that. He would still, still be dancing like a bear to this day. <laughs> I mean, he was dancing through death <laughs> like a bear plague, at the end of the movie. Yeah, until the plague hit that tavern. But yeah, I think I'm gonna call it that. But I'm still giving it one either way. Okay, excellent. And I believe it's to Steve-O with supporting Taking characters. Up the rest now of them. this yeah. is yeah, yeah. Now this is having to say like all those rest of those characters that we just mentioned. Sure. Uh, Jan's Mia, Yoff's wife. Uh, who was I thought really good? Uh, the girl, I guess, is the other one who did a fine acting job, but didn't get very many lines, and got basically she sort of represents like yelled at kind of and threatened the thing. entire fucking mm. movie. Mm. Um, poor her. But uh, anyway, uh, then there was Scott and S- Scott with his S K A T. The shadier actor, and uh, yeah, which who was the shady actor, <laughs> and Lisa. The blacksmith's, blacksmith's wife. wife who got stolen away by Scott for a little or while. Or she seduced him. Your for mileage may vary. Yeah, oh no, you, that chicken seduction. First yeah. of all, you're absolutely right. She seduced the shit out of an Just actor say. and then ran away from her husband and they came back and was like, this guy totally seduced me. Why don't you murder him? And he was like, yeah, I'm down with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I thought all the characters were good. They they all had their own little thing to say about like the human condition and yeah. the philosophy Spot of on. the philosophy of like, existentialism and, and things like that. So um, I thought they all played their little part really well. They were all fairly well rounded as characters. Like they kind of had their own stories. Um, Even if there were smaller you, like, arcs, there was still yeah. Arcs. But you but you could like kind of. Yeah. Uh, establish a backstory for them based on what they did, like oh, what all of their characters were. So I really appreciated that. And uh, I'm going to give this a one. Chris, can I ask you a quick question? Sure. I haven't... I've only seen the two Bergman films that you have uh, shown me so far. I kind of have a feeling that Bergman has female archetypes in his works. Because uh, I'm remembering a little bit of The Magician... And I might be completely wrong about this, but it felt like some of those female characters similar, were yeah. similar to the magician. I might be wrong, but I, I don't know. Uh, could you uh, elaborate on all that? Let me elaborate. Well, the the thing is, like any director, he's got his own troupe. So, hmm. um, you know, B.B. Anderson, who played, sure. um, who was in The Magician, she played uh, Max von Sydow's wife in The Magician. Hmm. Uh, she played um, yeah, in me in this. Uh, Gunnar Bjornstein, who played Joff. Joff, yeah. Oh, no, no, Jans. Jans, I'm sorry. Um, so, but as far as female archetypes, um, what do you mean specifically with. Uh, it might just be that same Matrix has a similar acting style, and that's why I feel well, that. It, like, it, feels she, like, it feels like there might have been, like, there's, like, the one, like, like, steady, like, good wife, but strong, like, female actress, and there's, like, the, like, kind of withering uh but i don't really remember the magician very well but like like it seemed like in this you had basically the two or the three uh women leads or 
you know, leads. Characters, at least. But it was, like, Lisa, who was, like, the seductress, like... Temptress. Strong yeah. female character who, like, overpowers the men that she's with. You have Mia, who's, like, the good wife and, like, the... um. Like the kind of pure, but like smart, supportive like intelligent, partner. Yeah. supportive partner. And then you have uh, just girl, the girl, like just named girl, who's kind of this naive, meek, innocent, very yeah. meek character. Well, she's mute, so I mean, like, she's well, not mute. A... She talks at the end of the movie. Yeah, does one line when Jack yeah. shows up yeah. the castle, oh. she does not speak before that at, uh. at all. Yeah, uh, for all no, I see purposes. what you mean. Like, yeah, sort I mean, of like the three. Really talk much. But... Uh, so, because uh, I, I mean. Because this archetype, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm just talking about this movie. No, I know, I, I know you are, and I'm trying to uh, listen because he does have a whole acting trip. But I, I'm just trying to figure out. It felt familiar to his uh, magician, or you know, it, it just, I should have done a little bit more research on apologies, but that's what I just said. That uh, it might just be that was have a sense of having you got. the same actress. Uh, just yeah. is what reminded me. I'll give him a lot of credit so. though. He has more range in his women, in his female characters than. Uh, a lot of people making films in that era did. Sure. <laughs> Actually, to Steve's point, uh, was there's um, another film of mine, which uh, another film of mine, another film, another film is, that you made, yeah, that I absolutely love. It and this one is kind of depressing. It's called The Winter's Light, and basically it takes place um, between three hours and a, on a Sunday service, and it's ninety minutes, so it's basically virtual real time. And there is a the the priest ha- or the deacon or. Um, has a crisis of faith and hit the woman who works with him is kind of like his rock. And so mm-hmm. what I'm saying is in all this film and the magician, there is always like a female character or two that is there to not play second fiddle, but acts as partially a guide. Like there is like, no, yeah. there isn't like even in the magician you had mm-hmm. seat out barely was took the part of the girl where he basically had three lines in the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so you always, it is always a really nice give and take. Hmm. There is, I mean, your vi- mileage may vary on different films. Like, you know, I won't get into the other, like, in a mirror, darkly or persona, but, um, with regard to this style, there is an archetype. I don't know if it's quite cut and dry archetype, but hmm. the dynamic, yeah. there's that dynamic archetype. Well, it's something I'm definitely going to look for, uh, at when I see more American film. films. I got you. Which I do want to check out a lot more. He's, he's a good mix. Either way, I don't have much more to add, but I think I do agree that the secondary supporting cast was quite well done, and got to give him a one. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so um, and I'm giving it a one too, and I, you'll one too. Are you? <laughs> I am as well. Um, yeah, and I already spoke about archetypes, so I won't bore you with that. But it's on to me with dialogue, and bores with dialogue. I'm going to bore you with that line, <laughs> but the uh, the most me. my favorite line probably in any movie is um, that scene was talking about where they're having the supper of the strawberries and milk, and Antonius Block. This is his perfect moment. Are you hold on? Are you reading this off of your Facebook because you just posted mm-hmm. it there the other day? No, I'm not reading it <laughs> off. I'm going to. <laughs> I know exactly. What no, you're it gonna... starts off with I shall remember this moment: the silence, the twilight, the bowl of strawberries, the bowl of milk. Your faces in the evening light. Mikhail asleep. Yoff with his lyre. I shall try to remember our talk. I shall carry this mo- memory carefully in my hands as if it were a bowl brimful of fresh milk. It will be assigned to me in a great sufficiency. Mm. Or in this translation, he says, uh, uh, um, satisfaction. Um, and what I love about that is, to me, that is the thesis statement of the film. 
and I did not do it nearly as eloquently as Max von Sydow, and I'm not going to. Sure. Um, but it, this is one of those things where, to me, is this thesis statement of the film. And on that alone, you know, I'd give it a one. Um, and I, I think, to me, that is probably one of the most – my favorite things ever put to paper. But as far as the rest of the dialogue goes, it, he has this unique – he can bring genuine laughs – and there, it's not. I was going to say that, but yeah, you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, it, no, it, it's it's I mean, not. No he's not being ironic about it. I mean, these are just people. I mean, you have everybody's got their own little thing. Like you know, Jans, he's always like quick with a wit, and he's always got something. He's um, got some word wary like things. Yeah, to he's add got to some it. word wary thing, and um, you have uh, to the juxtaposition of Antonius and Yoff. They basically, in a weird way, say the same things, except. Antonius is more pontificating and Yoff is kind of like, kind of, like I said, integrating it into his everyday life. So he's saying these things and his wife's like, Oh, you're so sweet. Your visions, you're so cute. Can we got to get going? You know, <laughs> yeah. um, so there is a, in, in its stoicism and there is a natural quality to it. It's a weird thing where it does seem like everybody's in a weird way pontificating, but at the same time, it's all very natural. God, I'm sorry. I'm going to shut up. No, I'm giving cool. it a one, it's, so please talk. It's your question, and you want to dialogue, but I'm, I mean, I'm just agreeing like 100% because it's there's moments of levity to it, and again, they're not like they're not forced. They're not. They don't seem like as if they're like sarcastic unto themselves. Like there's genuine moments of uplifting, of joy in this film, and then of course there's the like you said, the stoic, more somber uh, reflections and, and interactions and conversations, and yeah, it all flows like up and down throughout. And the tone, while the tone might change, it doesn't jarringly switch at any point. It's it's more, again, like you said, natural sort of just organically flows from one vignette into the next. Like, for example, one standout or example might be is that when Yalf and his wife are doing like sort of the song and dance or performing for the village or whatever. And then the flagellants come through and like they're, you know, they're doing their thing and the whole village stops and people are like kneeling down and sort of awe and or fear or both. Right. So but that it doesn't like jar with itself. It just sort of transitions into that and a lot of other things scenes are like that too Burn the witch. Well, what would you do if a bunch of people showed up in your uh, like driveway I mean, the whipping themselves the, you know, while you're putting on a play yeah. people just like whipping themselves the through the theater ran them out of the you're village like, or something the fuck? But, but no I'm just saying like all that just to back up like yes Dialogue. You don't. You don't mess with those people. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, if a bunch of flashes show them what they're going to do, we'll see what happens. But <laughs> I hope they leave soon. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, anyway, get out, out of there, there as soon as yeah. possible. Post on our Facebook. We'll yeah, arrange yeah. a meeting. Come to not my house. Come to see. I house. just want to make a point. What you said is, as a person who pontificates regularly, mm. it is hard to do natural. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and sure. uh, I think they did. And they did it. I actually really like the philosophical. Uh, dialogues out in this. Yeah, I thought that they did a great job in all those, uh, especially the conversations between Antonius and Death were really good. Um, the uh, conversations between Jans and the the black criminal, who, oh, the former priest. Yeah, the for, the former guy who had like conversations. I say like him yelling at that guy and like getting out his anger about like. How how he'd lost the last like however many years of his life because of because of this mm. and like taking it out on him were really good. Um, there's just a lot that was really good in terms of dialogue in this film, and it was all like it seems like it's all like Bergman getting out his rage about something, you know, whatever mm. specifically he had to say about modern society, like at the time that he was making this film through the lens of you know medieval 
um, and and the time of the plague and things like mm. that. But like, uh, I thought that the dialogue was spot on, really good, and I'm gonna give it a one. Yeah, like I said, it was engaging, thoughtful, um, made you think, but also again showed moments of just just living life. So, yeah, definitely strong one for me. Yarp, Ian, all one. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And uh, Ian, why don't you continue on with style? It's a Bergman film. <laughs> I knew you were going to fucking say that. You're like Kubrick or something, right? Uh, no, more so than Kubrick. No, I'm just saying, it's, like, a, it's a Bergman film. Bergman, I know Kubrick. It's very it's Bergman. If you, if you like Bergman's style, you like this. If you don't like Bergman's style, you won't like this. <laughs> I like Bergman's style, so I'm giving this a one. Yeah, I mean, it's very striking. There's so many classic images from this film, and it just... It's even still today, it's impressive. Now, granted, like I said, I have seen it before, not as much as Chris and you guys, apparently. I'm finding it odd, first of all, real quickly. Wait, you hold on, really quick. What year did this come out? 57, 57. I believe. Right? So, I just found it odd that you e, and Steve-O, this is really the first time you've seen it? Yeah. All yeah I've, never, I've never seen I it I mean, before. cool enough, cool enough. But either way, I'm saying, from the first, from shot one on the beach to the very last shot of the film, especially the last shot of them, of Yop's vision of them dancing with death in the distance, every single frame is fucking awesome. And, like, the black and white, like, adds so much to it. It would lose something if they ever colorized it. I don't know if they ever tried or wanted to, but no, they shouldn't. Uh, yeah, it ma- doesn't make any no. sense. But for what it is, and um, I guess I'll leave the soundtrack. He could have it. colorized it. It would, but, yeah. If he chose. Yeah, no. It works black and white perfectly as is, and every shot is awesome, at least in my estimation. And um, perhaps I'll leave the soundtrack to you guys, but I will also say, in this instance, it's fucking amazing as well. It matches perfectly. You can go on with that. I'm gonna Give leave. I'm gonna leave all the soundtrack stuff to Chris because I'm sure he has something to say about it, no, uh, no. or at least I hope he does. Otherwise, I'll be. I, I will, but I'll go ahead and say what you're uh, <laughs> Go on though. But I, what I will say is that like th- this movie really reminded me of. I mean, it's it's brilliant and it's it's specifically Bergman. Um, for sure, you can tell. Like again, I've only seen maybe three Bergman movies, including The Magicians, which I saw for the first time when we watched it, and this one, which I just saw for the first time. But, um. It really reminded me of the Twilight Zone, and I just looked up when the Twilight Zone came out, and the first it had first dropped in 1959, and I would be shocked Rod if Serling saw this film. wasn't watching Bergman movies while he was like coming up with uh, you know 100%. Like the framing and stuff of the Twilight while while he was making the Twilight Zone. I'd be shocked. Picture a man playing because chess yeah, it just has those like it has those like music cues. It has those like close ups, so like that's fast close ups and things like that, and like these like really striking like um, this really striking like shots along the beach and things like that. Like th- there's there's a lot that like gets taken from movies like this, specifically this but also movies like this and not only the twilight zone but like a bunch of other things that that come yeah. after it but um it's influence is, is profound yeah, yeah exactly. well, certainly bill and ted bogus journey at least Even uh, the animaniacs yeah oh yeah 100 percent. but like you know it's it's bergman had this he, you don't even need to know him really well to recognize his to recognize style, yeah, after sure. seeing this movie that he had this gigantic effect on film afterwards because you can see it like in all, in a lot of things that came afterwards, like yeah, even up to um, things that we loved this year, Midsommar and uh, especially Lighthouse. Lighthouse. Mm, yes. uh, these two directors are gigantic fans of Bergman and actually have it. If you ever want to check out them talking about it, like fanning, fanning over uh, Bergman, a 24 is a podcast and they are both talking about it. But, um. Yeah, he's been a huge influence from directors from the day that he made this movie until oh, right today. today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's all I have to say about that. A great style overall. 
Chris, talk about music and whatever else you want to talk about. Okay, there's two things I wanted to mention prior to the music. Is number one when the, the the one of my favorite shots in the whole thing, and this is something that I don't think he came up with the shot, but he uses it really effectively. Is when um, uh, Yelf and Mia are on stage and they're in their costumes, and you can hear the flatulence coming in. They both both freeze in horror, and the way the camera yeah. moves towards yeah. them always gives me chills. Um, which I'll, I'll segue into music because the use of Agnes Day, and I wrote a blog on it, you know, uh, last year, the year before, and you've heard it a thousand times. It's from the Middle Ages, the dun 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 dun. But uh, and of course, the Fatulents are going to be, you know, doing that. They're going to show up today. Sing it, yeah. But I keep thinking you're saying flatulence. It's flatulence, right? It's flatulence. 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 Sorry. I'm, I'm really screwing that up. I'm sorry. In the Middle Ages, people just fart at each other. I said flatulence. Did I say flatulence? I didn't say flatulence. It's flatulence. It's flatulence. It's flatulence. All right. Because I'm trying not to say flatulence. Well, you just failed. I did. Anyway. But the use of Agnes Day throughout the... <laughs> the flogging, right? <laughs> the flogging. <laughs> I fart when I flog. Sorry. But no, the use of Agnes Day uh, throughout, I think it's it's in there. It's kind of like the Easter egg in a lot of the score. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I, I took note of was the um, when is when y- uh, Jans is talking to the painter and he's like, why? You know, the painter is paying like the Black Death. He's like, why are you? You know, here's death, and he's dancing with these people. He's like, why are you paying such horrific things? He goes. You know, to scare people, I have to remind them, you know, the, what do you say? I have to remind them they're all going to die. And in the Middle Ages, why we know, why the books, the, the, the literature, know, we know more about hell than we do about heaven is because that's what got people in the church was fear. And we wanted to find out who is going to hell this week. And, um, it, so it, 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 they even said, so I'm sorry, Chris, that's remind me. Yeah. Dialogue. They said, we took, Fear and carved an idol out of it and called it God. Yeah, exactly. And that's a lot of what we got from the Middle Ages. So I, I'm going to say st- I agree with everything you guys said. Style. Uh, yeah, again, there's zero way you can give style zero to any. Yeah, I just wanted. There was just one. something I noticed because I'm like, yeah, that's that's a nice little touch to call that on. So yeah, so we're all giving it a one, yep. and um, I, I'm really embarrassed about the flagellating thing. All right. You'll have to go flagellate yourself uh, later. Go flatulate yourself. We're calling him flatulating. Don't worry, I'll be flatulating later. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> go on. Highbrow and lowbrow. Keep brow it classy, here. buddy. <laughs> Always do. And Scott, would you recommend? Uh, hold yes, on, hold on. Yes, go on. It, it is me, right? Yeah, yes, yes. I would absolutely recommend Seven Seal. It is an iconic film for a very good reason, as we just talked out. And it's just. It's something that has never, it's, it's sort of imprint has never really gone away from film and even TV to an extent, I would say. It just, it, the influence has, is so broad, so overarching that it's still studied. Again, I saw it twice in two different film classes back in college and, you know, for very good reason, like I said. So yes, I absolutely would. It's even, it's shorter films, like an hour and a half and change. So it's, you know, it's not like a big commitment, but it just, it is still resonant. It deserves to be seen. Has something to say, and is something you can both enjoy. In terms of like it, it as a film and as a story and its philosophy. So, I studied. You've got mail twice in college because what I fucking had, classes? Were you because taking I had a communications degree. Right. Don't do that, people. <laughs> Don't do that. You, you, PSA from anyway. Regardless of your regardless of your major. Um, Seven Seal, yes, I highly recommend it. Check it out. It is a 
fantastic movie. And um, that's all I have to say about that, I suppose. I've said everything else. Nope. While you are idling away your time and waiting for death, <laughs> this is, um, I guess, a useful thing to say. <laughs> um, if you uh, don't want to pursue anything greater, um, <laughs> which I think the knight would be uh, agree with me on. Mentally commentating um, on his recommendation, yes. Perhaps yeah. this is a way to see God. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes you... Uh, you're going to waste your time The topics here aren't new. They were sure. discussed quite a bit throughout this is heavy existentialist piece, but I think it has the unique Bergman spin on mm. old uh, uh, worries about the world. So, so yeah, it's, it's worth it's worth seeing. I recommended it. Um, this was a birthday request of mine. I told the guys, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to be 50 in January. I'm going to do the seventh seal. Before now, it that you're, now that you're halfway through life. Now before you're I hope I'm halfway through life. Uh, another 50 years. If you're lucky, you're Before it dances with you, the Reaper. You, you, well, another 50 years, you're all going to have to endure, endure me. I'm sorry, you only have a pawn and a rook left. It's, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm knocking over the mm-hmm. pieces. But anyway. Okay. So, um, that means I'm giving... Well, I give it a 10. Um, mm-hmm. the, only thing we all disagreed on is that you all give it two for the plot. You yeah. knocked a point off for plot, sure. Yeah, you, you t- knocked a point off for plot. Um, but that, but otherwise, we all give it perfect, perfect, perfect scores, and it comes out to a nine point two five. Yeah, that's pretty damn absolute. Well. It's up there. Yeah, yeah for mm-hmm. sure. It's still like I said, classic. Uh, deserves to be seen. Uh, still is something to be said, and you can study a lot about it. Yeah, this has historical value. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and if no other reason, you'll just you see this and you'll get a shit ton of pop culture. Sure. <laughs> Cultural references for the last 50 years. It's or worth it for years. that alone. <laughs> you will understand why uh, Wacko, you mm-hmm. know, the whole thing with the Swedish meatball eating <laughs> contest. But you still want to understand the fingerprints thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, do we have anything else to, anybody want to say? Okay, I've been Chris Morgan, and gentlemen, let me say first, thank you so much for indulging me. I'm here with uh, Jonathan Ian Manzer. I'm already playing a game of Scrabble against death. Scott Thurlow. I'm going to dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. <laughs> and Stephen Hermosi. Checkmate. <laughs> Good night. We'll see you next time. Editing and engineering by Christopher Morgan. Music by Christopher Morgan. Check us out on YouTube and iTunes for the shows, and on Facebook and Twitter for updates. Or mods? <laughs>